Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson. God damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should keep that in there. I just lost my place, which is totally fine. Oh, we can leave it in there. Keep that. Okay. Okay. On, okay. Is it non sequitur on, on NPR this morning? They were like, you know, I'm Dave Mattingly or whatever his dorky yeah. voice is. And he had someone else joining him and the guy's like, Hi, I'm, oh, works better if I turn my mic on, huh, Dave? Yeah, okay. And then they kept going. (laughs) It was actually, it was actually really funny. And then it was fine. Like, yeah, it works better that way. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Okay, we're we're keeping it. Um, Yeah, well, welcome to the show. I I have my good friend Sam Doyle back on the show. Obviously, she's kind of like, just hang with anything. Um, And we're going to talk to Sam. I wanted to bring Sam back on the show, actually, to talk about how she made this career change, job change, Um, because she was working in the the critical care setting as an acute care nurse practitioner, and then went over to the ACE clinic, which is the acute clinical evaluation clinic. Mm -hmm. Whew, I got that. That's what my notes were for. (laughs) But, um, but the reason I wanted to bring her on, it was because sometimes it can be really hard and feel really hard to like make a job change or leave the ICU. And so I wanted to ask, like, how did she make these decisions and what did she learn? And now like reflecting back and, and how things were going essentially like a good conversation into when to kind of know when something's not working out. But before we do any of that, how are you, Sam? Hi. Um, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Um, all in all, life is bumping along. It's okay. My kids are back in school, which is novel because they are seven and 13 and 13 now and they're back in school. So that has been a radical shift for everyone and work is work and yeah, things are okay. Things are stable. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Can- can we go back to your kids for a second? Yeah. What is it you think is so great? Is it that they're, they're, they're getting fulfillment from being at school and then there's less of like this, I don't know, emotional upset about being at home or isolation of being at home. I think it's, I think it's, it is that, and it it's more, I think, especially for my big kids, they're used to being in school. That's their normal. So they're in eighth grade this year somehow. Um, and <laughs> 
they're used to being in school. They're not used to when they were home, you know, sitting upstairs at their own desk on zoom for six, seven hours a day with headphones on. And it, it was just bizarre to do that for over a year. You know, they missed their friends when their friends started to be vaccinated when they're vaccinated, then they can hang out with friends some, but they went a long time without seeing friends and just not like their routine was sitting at their desk all day. It was just, kind of, that's depressing as an adult, much less, you know, when they were 11 and 12 years old. Um, And then, so I think going back to that normal with all the usual gripes of school is actually a good thing for them. And then my seven-year-old, it's good for her to be in school. A, she's a total nerd. She just loves school. She loves the like, how smart can I be? I'm going to please the teacher. She's that kid. And she's also very extroverted and thank God she has siblings, but um, it's good for her to meet (laughs) kids who are her age and not play with 13 year olds. You know, I'm glad she has peers, Um, but it's been hardest for her because she only had a little bit of kindergarten before COVID hit. And then she was at home in school for the whole year, but she never really got into the routine of school. So it's kind of like I have a kindergartner, a second grader at the same time. Academically, she's second grade, but socially she's not used to the school environment. So, and then for me, I'm glad not to be a teacher. I am not a teacher. I, I love my kids. I want to help them with their homework, but I don't want to be the, did you turn this in? This hasn't been turned in. You need to do it again. What did your teacher say? Times three. I don't want to be a teacher. If I want to be a teacher, I would have done that. I don't want to do that. But all parents turned into like sudden overnight teacher tech support and I can do it, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I am pleased not to be doing that anymore. <laughs> That's great. You're like, okay, I don't want anything to do with that. No, no. I, that is not my thing. Teachers are saints. Oh my God. I can't imagine. And just raise my taxes. Y'all deserve a lot more money. That's all I got to say. I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm, I don't have kids and I totally agree. Yes. Teachers should it. definitely be paid. Paid Could more. not do it. Take my money. Pay, give it to them. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that the professions that got their asses handed to them the most yeah. in this pandemic were teachers and nurses. Oh yeah, yeah, like for sure. yeah. And I don't know, like how to extrapolate. It's the true. Labor force is like dominantly, yeah. you know, more predominantly female. Right. Something. For both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Wow. Okay. Sorry, that was a tangent. Um, so Sam, can you talk a little bit about what you were doing in, as your in your IC world? And then like, what did you, what job did you move to and how did you kind of make that decision? Yeah. So what I was doing for, I think it was six years, which is just that flew by was, um, working in the ONC BMT ICU, um, as one of their APPs, um, it was crazy. Like most days were crazy and intense and like people were dying or almost dying. (laughs) It seemed most of the time. Um, and it was so interesting. It was academically the most interesting job I've ever, I've ever had, you know, and I've had several jobs in oncology from, um, acute care, uh, BMT clinic, BMT inpatient, solid tumor. I've been around in oncology and it was the most academically cerebrally interpersonally taxing job I had. So in that way, it was one of the most satisfying jobs that I've had. Um, but it was also the most exhausting job in every way that I've ever had. Um, you never feel 
And I don't think you can ever feel a sense of mastery um, when you're in critical care, which on one hand is what keeps it interesting. And the other hand, you're just like, God, can I just get one thing consistently right? But humans aren't machines. And when they have like, you know, six um, co-recurring acute or ICU problems, you, you can't master this just because you saw sepsis last time doesn't mean it's the same sepsis this time. Doesn't mean that this person with sepsis and heart failure will be the same. So sometimes you kind of would lose that sense of satisfaction and oh, I've got this. Like you never had like an easy win. And sometimes at work, you just, you want an easy win, <laughs> you know, and you don't often get that, I think in, well, in oncology, but not in critical care oncology. Do you think that has something to do with like, I don't know if this is even a term, but like occult infections, like these, like you don't know where stuff is coming from. You can't sure. identify source control. Yeah. So then you're like, I, I don't know. Well, like- yeah. It's often, it's often a mystery. So you start with your like broad spectrum antibiotics and, oh, they're still febrile. Let's add an antifungal. Oh, do they have a weird viral infection? I don't know. Let's add that too. Um, and then over time you narrow it down and you, re- you know, something turns out positive. You find something on CT, you find the blood cultures, the CSF cultures, but for a while you're just sort of in the mystery, you know, in the meantime, they develop you know, respiratory failure and septic shock and, oh, cardiac failure. And then you're still, you're juggling all of these things at the same time. Um, And then you have the understandably distraught, angry, tearful, stressed out family member or family members who are um, in, not inserting themselves, but they appear in the patient's story at different times. You know, you could have the spouse who's been there since day one, then you've got you know, grandma who hasn't seen the person in six months. So her realization of this person's diagnosis is kind of behind for lack of a better term. And then you've got children sometimes, and you're like, this is a shit show. Like this is an absolute shit show. Um, Cause it's like feelings everywhere going every direction. <laughs> but then you're like feelings, science, feeling science. Oh God, their heart rate's 25. Please hold your feelings. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's just every, it's like, being on like the world's largest, like freeway, like interchange. You're like, Oh my God, there's this stuff everywhere. And that's how it is like most days. So that's a really good analogy. Yeah. And I think it shows just the chaotic nature of the place. I mean, before we move on, I, I just, I'm like, I, there's some memory I have of like coming on shift and, you know, basically like, someone just like trying to die immediately, you know, right at the start of like getting there. And it's like, you're, you don't have, there's no time. Like then you can just be in this place of like, and I think it was one of your patients that I'm thinking of and you were in the room and it's just like balls to the wall. Crazy. Yeah. There's no time for good morning. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh fuck. Okay. We're on the, yeah. We're like, we're like on the express lane. Um, you, Oh, you asked me, why I changed or yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know. Yeah. Why did you decide to leave? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I didn't think that was going to be a lifelong position. I don't have enough cortisol for that. (laughs) My God, I don't. Um, I think it was a few things, but I think the, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back was COVID honestly, because even though I did, I did a couple of shifts in COVID ICU, but it wasn't that COVID had a huge personal effect on me, thankfully. Um, But it was like, suddenly, you know, like I said, my kids were all home and I'm like, oh my God, I don't get any 
downtime. I'm either like in the ICU or I'm home trying to figure out how to get on the three freaking zoom classes at the same time. And like, how do we submit homework? And like, what is this program and who's your teacher? And I was just like, fuck man. Like it was, you know, three days a week in the ICU. And then I had my kids the other days and I was like, and once I realized that that COVID was going nowhere and that for all I knew, my kids were going to be home for, I don't know how long I was like, this is not sustainable. Like, okay. And since I can't give my kids away, like <laughs> I guess I'll have to change my job. <laughs> right. Cause I was like, these are my two main commitments in life. You know, my, um, like my job and my kids, I'm like, my kids are going to be home. And like, I don't know if they're going to be home in eighth grade. Like we had no idea when school would start again. Literally they're like, here are laptops for your kids. And like, we'll See let ya. you know, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> like, so it just, it felt like after a few months, I was like, this is, this is like, this is too much. Like, I'm going to go batshit crazy. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to be a terrible mother and a terrible nurse practitioner. If I don't change one of these things. And like, the only thing I can change here is my job. And first I cut my FTE. I cut my FTE from one to 0.8. And I was like, that's good. Oh, this isn't ending for a while. Okay. Like, and then I just decided it was time to move on. Um, yeah. So that was, that was kind of what, uh, tip the scales, honestly. Well, it sounds like you made the right decision. Mental mm-hmm. health, um, must prevail. I mean, it's yeah, like, totally. I mean, if it, it feels like, well, I mean, it's mental health, it's balance. It's like every, every, everything. Um, yeah. I couldn't do both of these jobs as well as I wanted to. Yeah. In that setup, either with children all day long, well, or being nurse practitioner in that setting. So when you decided to leave, like, was it, were you like, okay with it, at peace with it? Was it a challenging decision or were you just like, no, I see this light at the end of the tunnel and I gotta, I gotta go for that. Um, I think, no, it wasn't a challenging decision. I mean, it was a little nerve wracking as any major change like that is you, you can be like excited and a little fearful. I'm like, Oh God, let's just jump off this cliff here. Um, for sure. Um, but it, it, you know, it wasn't a terrible decision and I had worked in clinic before it had just been, well, six years ago. So I thought, well, it'll, at least it'll be somewhat familiar. It's not entirely new territory. Um, even though this, this part of the clinic, ACE clinic is new territory. Um, I thought I, if I can deal with ICU, I can deal with outpatient oncology, urgent care. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to- totally. Yeah. I have, I mean, obviously a hundred percent confidence in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you switch jobs mm-hmm. and then what is it that you like, can you talk a little bit about the, your role now? Yeah, totally. So, uh, we have a huge infusion center. It's, I want to say there are 50 bays um, center, which I didn't appreciate before. Um, and last year, I think it was, oh gosh, I don't know, a year and a half ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, this ACE clinic opened and the, so it's basically oncology urgent care. So we see patients who are active, like SCCA patients who have kind of a same day need that is not acute care. And then we have to kind of teach that out sometimes. And it's also not primary care. So it's got to be onc related or immunotherapy related, radiation related. So the kind of stuff we see all the time, um, shortness of breath, that's not like 
you know, usually acute shortness of breath. Do you have a PE PE rule out? Do you have pneumonia? Um, UTIs. Um, now I'm going to forget. Oh, abdominal pain, a lot of abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Those are the things we see a lot of. Um, so we get calls from the nurse at the clinic. So the, you know, the heme nurse will call, Hey, I've talked to so-and-so he hasn't been able to eat for a couple of days. Also, he has a bit of a temp. Can you see him for whatever labs, whatever, uh, or, you know, some, someone else calls. Um, so the nurses in the clinics triage that for us, because what we don't want is to either have a primary care thing, because we're not primary care clinicians. You don't want me taking care of your ear infection. Like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like, I don't know horses. I know zebras. Like I only know really <laughs> weird stuff. So right. for one, we weed out primary care and we, and for two, we weed out, uh, that's nine one one. Like, you know, <laughs> my husband's unconscious at home. Yeah. So no, no. <laughs> so they weed out that. So we kind of get this other like mix of patients that pre COVID maybe would have gone to the ER, but it's not really a good use of ER either. And also no offense to our ER friends. They don't do oncology. So we need like urgent care oncology. So that's, we, those are the patients that we see. And sometimes we see them and we're like, you know what, you do need to be admitted, but you know what, let me at least get imaging, get labs, get an HNP on you, and then send you to my friend at UW. And at least they have like the preamble or there are some people that come in they get sick as stink like last week. And we call the medics like, oh no, no, you are actually way sicker than we thought on the phone. Here's wow. your cephalene and you now need to go to the emergency room for your, you know, blooming neutropenic sepsis. So we do, that's my favorite part of my job. That's half the job. And then the other half is covering the infusion suite. So you've got a, between a hundred and 120 patients a day coming through there, getting everything from induction chemotherapy to um, blood products, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, growth factor injections, hydration, and stuff happens right? They have reactions. They have infusion reactions. They develop chest pain, shortness of breath while they're getting their insert Mab that we're going to blame. And then we also respond to rapid responses in the building. So, so so-and-so comes in the lab, they vasovagal. I had someone who developed acute chest pain in lab, people fall, Um, you name it, it happens in clinic. So those are all the things we do. My favorite part is the ACE clinic. Cause I'm like, Oh, problem solution. Bye. It's great. <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. And then you're like, Oh, I know what this is. Yeah. I, yeah. That's gotta feel really good. Yeah. Um, kudos to whoever came up with the, the ACE infusion clinic. Yeah. Cause that's sounds really awesome. Like for all the reasons you identified. Yeah. I didn't know it was a thing, but apparently there are a few oncology centers around the country who have, who have this and some even have like 23 hour observation units. So I don't oh. know if we'll head there someday or not, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not a new thing, but it's a new thing for us. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Now that you have been there for a little bit and you look yeah. at your like previous role mm-hmm. or in looking back on, on it, like, do you have any sort of reflections about I mean, you did sort of talk about it in the beginning, but any sort of reflections about the work that you were doing, were, were doing versus like what you're doing now? Like in terms of my thoughts, like in terms of how much I like it or in what? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I like them both. I've never had a job 
in oncology that I didn't like, you know, they've, they've all been different, but I've never had one that I wish I hadn't had. Um, I think just the, the ICU, oops, sorry. <laughs> the <That's> ICU. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave that uh, in too. Right. That's a reminder <laughs> about my child. Um, <laughs> I think the ICU was just too much at that time. And I just needed something a little more satisfying, um, less urgent. Um, but just as like, I like solving problems. It's satisfying to solve problems. Um, so as long as I still get that little dopamine hit from solving problems, then I'm good. Um, I was going to say something else. I just forgot. Oh, I mean, obviously the acuity level is massively different. Um, and I think that's okay. I think when I was deciding to leave ICU, I thought, you know, you're, you, you know, you're a chicken shit, you're chickening out. You're like, you know, cause I think when you feel, when you're in the ICU, you're like, I can do anything. We can do anything. We have like all the tools and we're kick-ass. You know what? Give me a person near death. That's fine. We'll fix it. Like, but then you, I think there's definitely some ego there where you're like that I've done that, that I can do that. And so then you can look at urgent care or primary care and you're like, well, that's sort of less than what I'm doing. Actually, it's not, it's different from what you're doing. It's not less than, but I think you sort of get that um, mentality. Like, well, we're in the Marine Corps and you're like Coast Guard Reserve. Like, eh, I guess, <laughs> like, I guess you're in the military, but eh, you're not as badass as we are. Right, right, right. I think you get a little bit of that. How how do you think you got over that? Because I think a lot, like you, you're very astutely saying, it. I mean, I think that we feel that way, a lot of us. Like we over-identify with, yeah. I'm an IC nurse or I'm an ER nurse or I'm a flight yeah. nurse or I'm med surgers or whatever it is. I'm a hospice nurse. Like you, you have this like role that you yeah. like are so, so much a part of your ego and a, who you identify as, but. Maybe that's not a good thing. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think on one hand, you need that level of swagger, as I say, to deal with the horrible things you deal with you because nobody wants a kind of not confident, meek ICU provider. (laughs) Like, I don't want that. I want the person to be like, I got this move. Like you want that person to save, you know, your wife's life. You don't. Right. 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 So you want that. But on the other hand, I think we, I think conflate is the world word. We conflate that sort of like bravado and swagger with like your value as a healthcare provider. And those don't go together. Like those, those don't, they don't go together. They don't have to go together. If they go together for you, like, okay, fine. But I kind of had to like disentangle those. Like I'm not worth less as a, as a nurse practitioner, because I work in urgent care versus ICU. I'm like, my, my worth is, is the same as a healthcare provider, it would be the same if I went and ran a vaccination clinic for babies. Like it's right. It's the same. So, but I think we, I don't know where that message comes from. I think we do sort of ascribe more value. Um, and some of it is warranted because there is more technical skill, but just like, I mean, value in the like interpersonal intro. Yeah. How do you know how you detangled it or did you, did it just take some time or you just um, got through it? I think I just, I just really had to adjust to the new practice environment. And then I had to also realize that, you know, when our patients come in to the ACE clinic and they're, you know, they haven't eaten, they look 
you know, terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just as satisfying to me to, to, to a have that person avoid an ER visit and to B have them say like, thank you so much. Like I feel so much better and you're open every day. Oh my God, thank God. And sometimes they come back a couple of days in a row, but they are a, we can fix them a lot of the time and B they're so grateful for our, thank you for not having me go to the ER. I'm so glad I didn't have to get admitted. You know, thank you for getting me, me, um, pain medication. Just you, it's the same sort of like satisfied APP dopamine hit from, yeah. Oh, you know what? I fixed your nausea and vomiting, or I found out you had cholecystitis or I gave you antibiotics, um, as it was in the ICU. Um, so it's, it's just as satisfying, even if it's not clinically as, um, complicated, which it usually is not. Um, and we do it alone often, which is also sort of satisfying. You're like, yeah, I kind of nailed that. Go me. Like I did that by myself. There's one ACE provider a day and one infusion. And you're like, I did that. Yeah. I fixed them, you know, and that feels just as great, whether it's, you know, someone feeling terrible from cholecystitis or something in the ICU. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds, that does sound really satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, is it nice not to be around so much death? (laughs) Yeah. Dying, dying. do you ever reflect on that? You know, yeah. I mean, yes. And it's not as, I thought um, it would be easier in clinic. Like, oh, I solved your, you know, whatever the problem was, your clogged catheter and have a nice day. But the flip side is like in the ICU, we didn't often get to know the patients very well, you know, before they died. So you didn't, uh, for good and for bad, often have a sense of who this person was, except for secondhand through their family. And it's sort of sad in a different way because I get to, to know people in clinic because they've come to ACE or infusion for months, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I heard they died. I'm like, oh, that's really sad because I actually know them better in some ways. Like, no, I'm not there present for the death and like the acute grieving of the family. But on the clinic side, you actually know them as people. I'm like, oh, she was really nice. And she and her husband were so cute. And she always brought her coffee. I'm like, oh, she died. Like, so it's like not better or worse because we get to know them more as people outpatient because we have the time, right? Like I have my patients are overall like, you know, well and sick or what, you know, well, what's the word? Anyway, they're outpatient. So we have time to like, Oh, what are you reading? That's really cool. Oh, you saw your granddaughter. That's really fun. Oh, she's really cute. You know, pull that pictures. You do all that outpatient stuff. So then when you hear they die, I'm like, Oh, that is really sad. And we didn't have that history in the ICU. We had the, the, um, acuity of the death right now, but we didn't know them well. So I don't know that feels different, but not better or worse. Mm, interesting. <clears throat> Do you, um, what advice would you give to someone who was, I don't know, trying to make a job change Mm -hmm. in the, in the sort of medical healthcare field? Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) The pressure, Nicole. (laughs) Uh, Say something smart. Really? Say something smart. People will quote in a meme on Facebook. Sam Toyle said, I've never been that succinct in my life. So (laughs) it's going to be seven point font Um, advice. I just, I think you have to take the sort of 
don't know, 10,000 foot view, 20,000, choose an altitude, like of all the things you have to do in your life, you know, whatever your family, your, your activities, like leisure activities, your work, like, do you have the balance that you want to have? And if not, then what can you actually change? You know, what can you actually change and kind of what means the most to you? Um, cause something can change. Like none of us, I don't think are absolutely stuck in how we've set up our lives. You can change it. You know, it'll take some ovaries to change it, <laughs> but you can do it. You can change it. And it, then you're in that sort of uncomfortable space. Um, and then you'll find a new normal in your new spot. Um, and you always have, you have to do what works for you, not, you know, yes, I could have stayed in the ICU because that's just a badass, sexy job to have, but I would have been really miserable and I would have been a not great NP and kind of a half-assed mom. So that doesn't kind of reach the goal that I wanted to reach. Um, and as a side note, one thing I realized only a month after I left the ICU um, was that I've had migraines for years. Like I've had migraines for 20 years, not terrible. But like to the level that I was um, taking migraine prophylaxis and I would use a rescue medication, like you know, like when I was working in the ICU, almost after every weekend that I worked, I would have a migraine the next day. That has pretty much disappeared <laughs> since I switched jobs. I don't take prophylaxis anymore. And I use like a sumatriptan inhaler or nasal spray like every six weeks or so which is amazing. And I didn't, I had never clearly thought like my job is linked to migraines. I, I know I'd heard that because that's common sense, but I was shocked at how that went down. And I, was like, I don't think I realized how stressful my job was and what it was doing to my brain. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that I evaluated in hindsight. I was like, Oh, I haven't refilled that forever. Yeah. And yeah, I, just like you said, you were like, you don't know, you don't have enough cortisol to <clears throat> work in the ICU forever, but like all that, those stress hormones flooding your, your right body and your brain. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. I just, I hadn't realized it. That's really cool. So that's kind of nice too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and again, interesting revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We hold our stress, um, some of us so differently. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm happy for you. That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts for the show or any closing thoughts? Let's see. Um, I think just that, I mean, try, like, it's a job at the end of the day, it's a job. Like we have awesome jobs, you know, like we help people, we save people lives, we help them die well. Um, but I would resist the temptation to assess your value as a healthcare provider by your specialty, you know, like you, you are a value because you go to work and you help people, you know, you help people, you know, whether you're a nursing assistant or a medical assistant or, you know, I don't know, an acute care RN or a neurosurgeon, like really you are giving your work life in service of others. And there's no like, well, you get more brownie points than I do. Like we all kick ass. We're all there to help people. So if you need to, you know, change a level of acuity or change a practice environment or change your FTE, then like do what, do what works for you. And if people give you a hard time, then you know what, screw them because it's your life and you have to figure out what works for you and what 
keeps your brain entertained and um, keeps your heart in it. Cause a lot of us, when we're in this, we're in this for 30, 40 years. You don't see like a lot of five-year nurses. Like this is like a lifelong career. So you have to spend your cortisol wisely and spend your, your soul wisely. There's your Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Spend your cortisol wisely. I got three kids. I got plenty of cortisol. I can spend it on. (laughs) Spend your cortisol. Oh, I need a meme. I've, I've arrived. You did it. You did it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Spend your cortisol wisely. There you go. That's all I have to say. And (laughs) yeah, no. And yeah, thank you so much. That was awesome. That was awesome. And uh, side note, it was super fun to catch up with you. You Um, too. For those of you out there, Sam is on the show season one, episode nine, where she talks about her like um, calling for draw to oncology. And then also we talk about how she was a badass boxer, which is so cool. Oh, yeah. Wait, sorry. (laughs) Cortisol. Cortisol. Okay. Um, Well, I'm just going to, I'm so grateful you're on the show. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, And I'm going to close this out and say, stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.